and welcome to this podcast in the ENT Expert Opinion Series. My name is Dr. Niall Jefferson, and today I'm going to be talking with Malisha Sirisena, who is one of the audiologists here at Westmead Children's Hospital. Uh, Malisha has a particular interest in paediatric audiology, um, and particularly the diagnostic side of it. Thanks for joining me, Malisha. Thanks for having me. Our topic is the assessment of hearing, but to begin with, how common is hearing loss? So in babies, one to two in every thousand are born with hearing loss. Australian Hearing, the organisation which provides rehabilitation to hearing-impaired kids, they fit around 1,200 to 1,500 hearing aids each year to children. Um, And as children age, the prevalence of hearing loss then increases as we account for progressive, late-onset, hereditary, environmental factors, infections, diseases and trauma and so on. So by 17 years of age, around 23 in every 10,000 children will acquire a hearing loss, which needs hearing aids. So from particularly the paediatric community, Mm -hmm. what is newborn hearing screening? So the newborn hearing screening is a program ensuring that all newborns are screened for hearing loss during the first few weeks of their life. Um, The screening usually takes place in the birth hospital and it aims to identify all babies who have significant permanent hearing loss by three months of age and for those babies to access early intervention services by six months of age so their language and communication skills are on par with their hearing peers. So then how does newborn hearing screening work? What tests do we use? Okay. Um, so in the newborn hearing screening, the automated auditory brainstem response, or double ABR, is used. And to understand that, you have to understand the ABR, which evaluates how well sounds travel from the ear to the level of the brainstem. Um, so for those who are not familiar with the ABR, what happens is electrodes are placed at the child's vertex, left and right mastoid and cheek as a reference electrode. Um, A sound stimulus is then played through earphones and synchronously the electrodes are picking up the electrical activity of neurons firing from areas in the cochlea, the eighth nerve and the brainstem in response to sound. And then this is expressed in the form of waves, so it's similar to an EEG recording. And what we're looking at is the neural integrity of these waves. So the latency intensity effects, the morphology, the repeatability, it all tells us about the neural integrity. Um, So the ABR has many uses, but in babies, we use it for threshold determination. We're looking at the wave 5, which arises from the midbrain or inferior colliculus, as it's the most robust wave under varying conditions of frequency and intensity. And the lowest intensity level at which the wave 5 occurs is considered threshold for that frequency. So... In the newborn hearing screening, the double ABR is used. It's the same as the ABR, um, except it's a machine-based scoring algorithm centered on ABR waveforms of normal hearing infants in the range of 35 dB NHL. So babies who are screened at birth, their waveforms are paired against an averaged template of normal hearing babies using a pass-refer criteria on whether or not there's a neural response present. Um, in other countries, such as the UK, they use tests like otoacoustic emissions or OAEs as a first step measure before the double ABR. There are ABRs and OAEs. What's the difference between the two? So both are used um, in identifying peripheral hearing loss. In an intact auditory system, present OAEs suggests or indicates normal or near normal hearing. 
OAEs are a preneural response, measuring the function of the outer hair cells in the cochlea. The ABR is a neural response, measuring the function of the auditory nerve or the eighth nerve. Is one necessarily better than the other? Um, they both give you different a different diagnosis. So one's more of cochlear and one's more neural. Okay. So no, they're not they're not better than the other, but one just gives a little bit more information, which is the ABR. So then what does it mean for a child who fails or gets a refer on that uh, newborn hearing screen? Um, so not all failed screenings mean that the baby has a hearing loss. Um, there are some false positives as a result of, you know, vernix in the canal, fluid in the middle of the ear or movement or crying or ambient noise during the test. So a failed screening doesn't always mean a hearing loss. But on the other hand, we need to remember if a child does pass the screening, this also isn't a guarantee of normal hearing. So a loss can develop later in life. Clinician observation and parent concern is still very important. So then what tests do you perform? So all babies who don't pass the hearing screening, they come to us for full diagnostic assessment. And this includes high frequency or 1,000 hertz timps or tympanometry, um, distortion product, autoacoustic emissions, the ABR, and ASSR, which is auditory steady state response. So the ASSR is used in conjunction with the ABR. It's an automated response detection and analysis. It provides an estimated audiogram using amplitude or frequency modulated tones, and it's presented rapidly, and it stimulates both ears and four frequencies at once. It's still emerging in pediatric audiology, and it's used more of a cross-check measure with the ABR, which is still our gold standard. So then... With your testing, when do you refer to uh, to ENT? So in babies, a lot of our high needs or complex risk factor babies are already linked to ENT by the time they come with us, come to us for diagnostic assessment. Um, but for those who aren't, we refer to ENT based on the nature of the hearing loss. So if we're finding on the ABR a conductive loss without middle ear dysfunction, um, a loss with a significant air bone gap, um, an asymmetrical hearing loss, a mixed loss, if the baby has discharging ears, or children whose ABR shows abnormal waveforms, which may indicate auditory neuropathy spectrum disorder, which is an auditory nerve deficit. That's when we would refer to ENT. So moving to something just a bit more general, what are the common reasons that you get referred uh, children for testing? The main reason for kids being referred from paediatricians for hearing test is speech-language delay, otitis media, learning difficulties, uh, behavior problems such as the child's ignoring me, they're very disruptive in class. In younger children, parents observe them to pull out their ears or they'll notice a decline in their child's hearing. Um, there's also trauma. Children who are undergoing assessment for other disorders such as autism, they always want to rule out hearing loss. Um, there's referral for follow-up due to risk factors from birth such as prematurity, meningitis, failure to thrive, if there's a family history, if a child's developing tinnitus and so on. What is the importance for you of uh, history and physical examination? It doesn't have as much importance for us. In terms of the history, we're not the first point of contact for a lot of these children because they're referred to us from a primary physician. So we know a little bit about their history. And in most cases, they will come with a referral. Um, if not, the one thing we always ask is if they pass their newborn hearing screening at birth because this gives us a good baseline that at one time in their life, they had normal or near-normal hearing. And the physical examination? Physical examination, the most is otoscopy, yep. and that's it. So then the child has been referred to you. If we consider the different age groups, there's mm -hmm. 
there's different testing that you do yes. um, based on their age. Can you tell me about that? Yep. So we categorize it into zero to six months, um, six months to three years, and then three years onwards. So in the zero to six month population, we now know that there's major pitfalls in using behavioral methods of, you know, jingling keys and clapping hands as their responses are very unreliable and it only provides a very gross measure of hearing. And also you'll paint yourself into a corner if you jingle keys and the child doesn't turn. Mm. Um, so we only use objective measures in a zero to six month population. And when I say objective measures, that's the double ABR from birth, the ABR, the ASSR, the OAEs and the tympanometry. Um, In the six-month to three-year population, a lot of the literature states that you can use or can introduce behavioural assessment to a six-month-old, but really this is really from nine months of age if we want to give the child the best opportunity to perform the test well. Mm. So from nine months to three years, we use VROA, which is Visual Reinforcement Orientation Audiometry, It's also known as the puppet show test, where the child is conditioned to turn their head in response to sound and they're positively reinforced. Speech tests can also be used or introduced in this population from about two and a half, depending on the child's language. And then from three years on, play audiometry instead of VROA is used. Um, This is also known as conditioned play audiometry, and it's similar to the adult hearing test, except when the child hears the tone, they respond using a play-based activity. So VROA and play audiometry is always supplemented with objective measures such as tympanometry and OAEs to cross-check results. So one test is never good enough. It's always a battery of tests. Um, And always, if the child is of an age where behavioural audiometry can be performed, this must always be considered first as it gives us an idea of their functional hearing, not just their hearing integrity only in cases where the child is significantly delayed or can't perform a test, then we'll look at sedation ABR. Are there reasons for you not being able to perform your audiometric testing? Um, I'd have to say it's not because a child has a discharging ear or there's a wax blockage or anything like that. Um, We can always obtain something from our battery of tests to give us an idea of their hearing. The main reason for children not being able to be tested is because of their cooperation. So you have to build rapport very quickly with children and give them a lot of praise to get them to comply. So also children, they're very simple creatures. So it comes down to the basics of, you know, sleeping and eating. If they're well-fed and well-rested, then they're really good. But if they're not, then this is the biggest roadblock as to why you can't test them. So what then is the future of audiological testing in children? So audiology is still evolving in the paediatric domain. Um, there's an increasing awareness now about hearing loss and how it affects the child and the family holistically. Previous beliefs, for example, with mild and unilateral hearing losses was that there was no handicap. But now with the hearing screening from birth, we're detecting and following up these children and we're realising that they are in fact at risk for speech and language delays, social and emotional difficulties and academic failure. So now we realise that there's secondary implications to the hearing loss and we're not just focused on the loss itself. Um, So audiology is becoming a little bit radical. In the past, children with mild and unilateral hearing losses, for example, would never be fitted with a hearing aid. And now they are if they're having difficulties. So the audiogram, it no longer dictates. But then on the other hand, there's also controversy with with audiology and the way it's evolving. Um, As many hearing impaired babies are born to hearing parents, verbal communication is fostered. So many of these children can now be mainstreamed 
as the communication barriers that would have prevented this in the past as a result of their loss being identified too late is now being bypassed with early intervention. So this leads to a lot of questions now about sign language and the deafness culture in the future. Well, that's been a great cover of uh, audiological testing and audiology and its assessment in, in paediatrics. Um, I'd like to finish with the final word that's an opportunity for you to maybe touch on something that we've uh, failed to cover over the course of the discussion or to highlight something that we have discussed but really is uh, goes to the heart of um, audiology and its role in paediatrics. I'll hand it over to you. So now what we're realising is that hearing loss of any degree in children can have a negative impact on the development. We're learning not to make assumptions based on the audiogram alone to predict their outcomes. That's been the biggest thing in audiology. Thanks very much for uh, talking to us, Malaysia. You can get this and other podcasts uh, on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ENT Expert Opinion, and you can uh, email us with any questions or comments at entexpertopinion.com. Thanks very much. Thank you.